cliffcentral.com. The list of people that I'm given by the audience when they say, we want to hear from this person, is short. And usually it, um, it starts with very, very famous people. And uh, our guest here this morning is no exception to that rule. But he's famous for an entirely different reason. He's a global business speaker, private equity managing partner at Watermark Africa. He's the CEO of Pan-African Impact Investment Firm, My Growth Fund. Uh, that's a venture capital business. And he's the convener of leading research boutique IC Knowledge Bureau. If none of that means anything to you, then his name will. And his name is Vuzi Tembekwayo. He's the guest today. I'm so happy to see you. And people have been asking for you. So there's a there's a huge appetite for the things you say. First of all, Mr. Tembekwayo, congratulations on all the things that you have said in the last while that have garnered you attention for good or for bad. I appreciate as someone who... Mm-hmm. speaks his mind. I appreciate that there are, I'm not in this fight on my own. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I marvel at your ability to step into the breach. Um, same, same here, man. It is that. It's, mutual. it's a big, wide, gaping space. And there are very few people who have the, the courage to boldly stand there. We live in an era where the truth is unpopular. So where do you get your courage? I, I, just, I think I've reached a stage where I just don't care. I really just don't care. And I'd, I'd far rather be hated for who I am than be liked for who I'm pretending to be. That's how, isn't that how the shit hits the fan? Well, I, I think you only know you're free when you can really say what you think. That's so powerful. That is so powerful. Because there are a lot of slaves in this world that don't realize they're shackled yes. by their inability to say something against someone else who is their master, technically. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and they live in the elusive freedom of of choice without recognizing that their options have been framed. There we go. And especially in a consumer world, yes. and I mean, you're a businessman, you understand that people are trying to sell you things all yes. the time. Yes. Um, someone said to me a while ago, there are only two kinds of people. There are buyers and there are sellers. <laughs> That's so good. Do, do you agree with that? <laughs> that is so good, yes. <laughs> what I so find, which one are you? Uh, probably a seller, I would yeah. think. Yeah. But what I find interesting is, it, particularly if you think about the political discourse of the moment, is those who are trying to convince people they have nothing to sell are probably the ones who are the biggest snake oil salesmen right now. Hmm. I'm standing for a cause. I sell nothing. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot of hot air, huh? Yeah, sure. So right. there, there, there is a, hot, a lot of hot air out there, and, and especially from the people who would erstwhile, who would be our leaders. At least they think they are our leaders. Yes. Whether it's in business whether it's in politics, whether yes. it's in society, yes. um, even even in families, wherever. Um, last time we spoke, it was in the middle of lockdown. And we can't underestimate what that did mm. and how it shook everything up. Mm. And I remember you you were very sage. You were very sensible. You had some very thoughtful things that you'd brought to the table during that conversation. How much has changed since then? Let's just do a little catch-up quickly and, and see, first of all, where's your head at with a couple of years, well, maybe a year or two of hindsight That's now? Yeah. I mean, I, I do hope, Gareth, one doesn't become despondent. Um, it's hard not to in this environment. You know, I, I remember leading up to lockdown, uh, a friend of mine, at the time he was the chief economist at Alexander Forbes, Isaiah. South Africa, you would remember, was downgraded to sub-investment grade. Uh, the average citizen calls it junk status. Mm-hmm. And he and I penned an article called The Upside of Junk. And the article went viral and trended and was published on various media. 
And then we started getting interviewed. And I remember saying to one of the business journalists in South Africa, I said to him, we didn't write this article for you guys to interview us. We wrote this article to sound an alarm about what's coming. And of course, as was the case then, nothing was done about it. So you fast forward a year, we're then in lockdown. Um, His Excellency and his genius decided to put us in lockdown without offering a real meaningful alternative. Uh, The politicians in their malicious intent then framed the options for us. They said, it's either work or life. I mean... uh, (sighs) That's a gun to your head. The the mind baffles. Mm. Of course you can say that because you're being paid to join a Teams meeting and pretend like you're working honorable. What if you what if you lived in a in a township and you were selling uh, you know mohodu what yeah. are you going to do then what do you sit at home and 100%. virtually sell that to people please exactly. do I me mean, a favor and it's, it is it is one thing it is one thing to you know posture to people morally when you when you when you don't have anything to lose or gain no Your skin life just no skin on. in that game so that happened and uh, you and I had our conversation then and a year after that the looting and the riot happened in KZN uh, some time after that, the floods of KZN. And in my mind, I, I keep watching, if you were to plot this on a mathematical like graph, it's like a regression analysis. And I keep watching this, this dot go further, further down. Mm. And then I wonder, do we not know what the problem is? It can't be because there are many like me, you and several others who've said what the problem is. Do we not know what the solutions are? That can't be that either because there's you many. Offer, you offer those with the analysis of the problem. In, in our own analysis. Mm. But there are also several other, you know, very th- structured research companies that will tell you what the solutions are. This is 2023. I just want to be clear to anybody watching this. There is nothing new in economic theory in 2023. Right. It, it, it's been tested. Somewhere before, someone in the world has been where we are and they figured out the solution. Did you hear that they've now started talking about, you know how they talk about um, uh, fiscal tightening? Have you heard about this? But now they're tightening where where there was um, a loosening of the the fiscal. It's kind of lend as much money as you like. What was that theory called that they talk about? um, Quantitative easing. Quantitative easing. Now they're talking about quantitative tightening. Right. Who this wouldn't be in South Africa, sure. No, no, this is politicians in America. Right. They're trying to they're trying to uh, reel back in an economy that they printed that they billions let run and loose. billions of dollars into and just thought everything would be fine. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, I'm, there's I'm, a new theory in economics, but I'm, it's a rubbish theory. I'm constantly on the money with this because you know <laughs> because of what it is that we do and where we raise capital. Yes. When they make decisions like this, it affects us. I. <sighs> Look, one of the problems with politicians is that they run experiments. Politicians, in my mind, are like they, they're like these doctors or these scientists that go into a lab and run an experiment, then they leave before the results come out. <laughs> so they're not invested in the outcome of the yeah. experiment. And they don't care how much damage is done. No, this is exactly the point. So if, if, you are, if you're any scientist of any repute, if you're running an experiment you're going to be charged with the responsibility over that experiment. You're going to have to publish a paper going, this is what I did. These were my assumptions. This is how the experiment made manifest. These were the outcomes. And here are my recommendations and learnings to the next person, 
don't do these things. Politicians don't bear that responsibility. So I can print money for a term. Mm. And by the time the repercussions of that come in, I'm gone. I'm, I'm out of office. I'm out of office. And you're seeing that even here. I can try things and might or might not work, but you know, well, life happens. Well, Next. I think a lot of people held out a huge amount of hope that this president, having had some experience in business, right, and I mean, you would be right to, I think, raise an eyebrow when people say he had experience in business because really he was the first beneficiary of being politically connected sure. in business. Sure. Whether or not that makes him a good businessman or not, he, he is supposedly worth a couple of billion rand. Sure. Um, people held out a hope that maybe this guy would understand those principles of basic economics that you spoke about just yes. now and be able to implement things that would grow the economy, which I think uh, this is uncontroversial – Growing the economy is the best way to make people's lives better. And and is is the majority party's slogan not a better life for all? I, lo I love how you I love how you kind of led up to that. I think this is uncontroversial because actually it is. There are some who think you can broaden uh, economic participation without growing the economy. I mean the the mind boggles, frankly. There are some who say we had a, a jobless what is a jobless growth economy, which is true. You just can't have a growthless job economy. Hmm. So, so just because the one happened doesn't mean it's inverse is possible. It certainly doesn't mean you want the inverse. And, and let me ask you this, because people will, people will take from any discussion you and I have yes. a small five-second clip yeah, and they'll find something that's the most outrageous thing yes, that either yes. of us could say and out of context use it to make it sound like we're just yes. outside the tent pissing in. Yes, okay, two but, elitists having a conversation but with, let's be over clear, the Queen's English. When you talk about the, um, the, cr the curve that you were talking about and those points on that graph earlier, yeah, yeah. you're not just talking about economic growth, GDP. You're talking about society. You're talking about the big picture. Yeah, I mean, so if, if, you, if, you, broaden, if you broaden what it is that you're measuring, which you should do, then, then measure the aggregate the aggregate income per household in South Africa over the past 20 years, that's declined. Mm -hmm. Now, you can, of course, find somebody who wasn't economically active 20 years ago, who isn't today, and say their life hasn't changed. That is true, right? But on an aggregate basis, what it means when each and every single household is getting poorer, it means every citizen is getting poorer. That means our pensions are getting worse. It means our lives are getting worse. It means our ability to put food on the table is getting worse. So it's not just that that I'm talking about. And it impacts everything, including but not limited to the cost at which you buy bread, the cost at which you get and get maize and cooking oil. These are the basics, right? It's yeah. maize, cooking oil, um, uh, bread, a, a can of pilchards, salt, it impacts your ability to make sure that you can afford those things because a country that's getting poorer affects that country's comparative advantage and affects that country's ability to provide those things for its citizens at a, at a cost at which the citizens can afford to pay for those things. Now, our solution to date is what worries me. Our solution to date has been, well, use the, use the fiscal space to provide social spending for the, for the poor and indigent so that they can afford those things. That solution has limitations. Unsustainable. And it's unsustainable. It so, has limitations. All right. There's so much that I have to ask you. You're going to have to forgive me if we jump around a bit no here. No problem. Um, when it comes to the, the graph again, that chart, you, you say we offer solutions as well as an analysis here. And I've heard some of your solutions before. They all seem very, very cogent to me and not very complicated. Yes. So are we in this situation because South Africans are lazy, that we're terrible workers, that – we're in 
the developing world, because I hear these excuses from people all the time, that we have this history of, of, of huge inequality, which I think nobody denies any of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But are those, con- are those contingent with the progress of other countries who have similar reasons not to do well? And why, because I can suspect your answer will be, no, there isn't a comparison. We've, out- we've underperformed all of those countries. Even in BRICS, we've underperformed a whole lot of them. The question has got to be, why? Is it just poor decision-making by our leaders? I was at an economic forum in Aspen, and uh, the fellow who coined the term BRIC was on the panel, yeah. and he was very upset that it's now called BRICS. <laughs> he was very upset, and, and his opening remark was, if you insist on having South Africa there, make sure it's a small s. Sure. And his thing was, because by any of the measures, she shouldn't be there. His follow-on comment was, if you must include an African country, maybe Nigeria. Hmm. Brink, but not BRICS, was, was, was his comment. As somebody who does business in Nigeria, I can see where he was coming from because the, the construct of BRIC was framed around certain macroeconomic factors, several of which we just don't tick the box. So hmm. there was a lot of soft power on our end to get included in that. That notwithstanding, we're not there. Your question was, um, are we underperforming? relative to our peers, I mean, there's just no comparison. And it arcs back to the comment you made earlier about um, our current number one. I, I think that the approach was wrong. We need strong men. That's where South Africa is. You don't need a leader that's trying to be liked or popular. You need a leader that in fact seeks out unpopularity. You need a leader that wants to be hated you need a leader that doesn't want Gareth to like him. He doesn't need the taxi associations to like him. In fact, he doesn't want a second term. Hmm. He's very clear that halfway through his first term, you're going to try and impeach him. Sounds like Donald Trump. But you need, you need a leader <laughs> who, who, whose self-efficacy is so strong that he's not at all concerned with the views of the average person because he recognizes that he's leading a country that is on the brink. But Fusi, where are these people now? <laughs> because, no, I, I, it's fine for, for you, and I don't disagree with anything you said. Again, you're, you're always the most sensible person in the room. Um, but people are obsessed with being liked at the moment. Ordinary yes. people and yes. leaders and those who you'd think were above that kind of nonsense. Yes. You see politicians fawning over yes. Instagram likes yes. and yes, yes, being yes. applauded at yes. G20 yes. meetings yes. and yes. who they stand next to in a yes. picture. It's like it's like we're all high school girls. I mean, what's our, happened? Our, 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 our number one has somebody that follows him posting videos of him traveling on TikTok. Are we all high school girls? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm not saying, you know, that. I, and I want to be clear, I'm not a prude. You know, I watch The Sopranos too. I'm not saying yeah. that w- one shouldn't have a personality and a character. And, but it's and also be, performative. If that's exactly what I was about to say. That's precisely what it is I was about to say. And when you are, again, you have to frame the context we're in, right? Out of, three out of five young people in this country don't have a job and can't find one. Three out of five. And those are the ones that are looking. When you broaden it and look at the ones that have just given up and don't care to look, when you think about the pressure that that places on the large metros 
and the amount of young people migrating from the peri-urban and rural areas into the metros seeking a better life. You multiply that with the fact that today, Gareth, the world is flat. Mm. I have a team in the Philippines. I have a team in the Middle East. I have a team in the US. Those are jobs that five years ago, I only had here in South Africa. Today, and I'm a small guy. I'm not, mm. you know, I don't well. run a company with 30,000 people in a factory. So if I've been able to outsource, what do you think has happened to the company that does have 30,000 people? And of course they have. And the Philippines is sitting right at the edge saying, we'll take on all the knowledge work. The Vietnamese are going, we'll take on all the production work. Right. And, and we are here arguing over- Beneficiation of minds. I mean, can we, can we just get, can we just get our, uh, one wants to use the correct phrase, but it's like, it's almost like our heads are up the wrong, mm, wrong part of our anatomy. <laughs> it's like, can we just get it in the right okay. place? Sorry, let me ask, answer your question. Your question was, where are these people? Yeah. Where are these leaders? I think, I don't know, but I think, I think that they're waiting for the collapse. I know several of them who would capably do this. And um, they're sitting on the sidelines. And, and each, con I had a conversation with one yesterday. And in each of the conversations, the, the, the theme of the discussion is the same. That you have to wait for the Titanic to first hit the iceberg and sink. Before what you can say? Before you can build a new one. Yeah, I'll tell you why this is. Hmm. And I, I know where your head is, so let me tell you why this is. When people don't know what's at stake, telling them that that's what's at stake is an academic exercise. Right. Sometimes you've got to let them experience it. It's these people that are running around. I want to be clear. It's these people that are running around thinking socialism is a solution to South Africa's problems. My friend, read a book. Yeah. Right. Now, but they won't. Now, there are, in, I said this to somebody on Twitter the other day. It's 2023. We shouldn't be having arguments over naked isms. Capitalism in its purest form is toxic. So too is socialism. You need a blend of these things. But what you need is a leader who knows what the blend is leader who knows where to have true state capital and where to have private markets, free markets, and create the space for these things to happen. But you also live in a country where the labor regulations, for 15 years I've been saying, the labor laws are a problem. The minute you hire one person, the same labor laws that apply to you apply to ShopRite, the largest private sector employer in South Africa. This is the problem. So there's no incentive for an entrepreneur like yourself to take a little bit of your pension, start a business and create jobs. So your question was, where are these leaders? They're there and they're there are plenty. But they are very clear that anybody who steps into the breach now is going to be demonized for being sensible. Because you live in an era where it's easier. Well, you've been demonized. I hear people calling you an agent of white monopoly capital. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I hear them calling you a, uh, a glory hound. Yes. All of this stuff, right? Yes, yes. Um, because you have the temerity to speak up. And, of course, this is something that I also have to be clear. Like, it's not something white people pick up as much as black people. God forbid, as a black person, you should have independent thoughts or ideas that don't <laughs> conform to the majority point of view. <laughs> exactly um, and right. you, are, you are, like, your head so far above that parapet wall, in some people's opinion, that you should have been cut mm. down long ago. Mm. Where does that come from? And how do you get up in the morning and decide that you're just going to carry on being Vusitembe Kwayo despite what comes at you? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's... 
you know, such and, bullshit, really. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I it took me a long time, but once I started getting caricatured, mm. then I understood what was going on. I I thought the I I thought initially that the um, opposition was earnest. I thought it was like, okay, so we have a different point of view. Good faith argument. A good faith argument. As a trained public speaker and debater, I'm happy to have a discussion with you and convince you of my point of view. Mm. But one of the things you learn in public speaking and debate is once somebody caricatures you, there's no more good faith in that discussion. It means they're not listening to hear what you want to say. They have framed an archetype of who they think you are, and it doesn't matter what you have to say. They're going to fit it into the archetype. Once that started happening, I was like, oh, well, this is a joke for you guys. Oh, well, then I'm not just going to, then I'm not going to entertain it, right? Because I've got a serious life. I don't have time for jokes. Um, you, you are right, though, that what happens is there's a, it's like I call it the monopoly of black, right? There's this monopolized idea of what it means to be a black person in contemporary South Africa. And there's this checklist mm-hmm. and you must tick it every day. Yeah, you know who it's else? A prison. You know who else did that? Who did yeah, that? The Nazis did that. And the apartheid government. And the apartheid did government. They said, "This is what it means to be a Zulu." Mm. The Nazis said, "This is what it means to be a Jew." Yeah. The Latvian says, "This is what it." And and so what happens is society creates these little box rules. Say, if you act outside of these rules, we're going to punish you. And by the way, if you think outside of the way we want you to think, we're going to punish you. Rubbish. I mean, bring it. I'm happy for you to bring it because. But you uh, must have lost business. And you must, it must have cost you. Of course. Because every time you speak out in this country about government, someone somewhere says, ah, don't do business with that Tim. Of course. He's a problem. Of course. Oh. Let, me t- <laughs> Let me tell you. You could have gone along and just been extreme. You could have been 20 times richer than you are now and had a very, and there are lots of people like that, hey? Mm. Keeping mm. their heads down, mm. keeping their powder dry. Mm. Exactly the the like question that. is why? Keeping because, their heads down, keeping their right. Because dry. because I really respect what you do, and I know lots and lots of South Africans do. And when you talk about leaders, I wasn't leading you to the question either. But a lot of people see you as that person just because you have the courage to speak. You must understand when they talk about. You see, <laughs> um, there is a relationship of cowardice. And it's, a, it's an unpopular relationship people don't like to talk about. Which is to say, for Gareth to be a coward, Vusi must expect it of him. <laughs> Otherwise, Gareth won't be a coward. There's no, there's no incentive in society for Gareth to be a coward. For business people to be cowards, it's because it's expected of them. And, and government puts this, I say government loosely, mm. but... Typically what happens is those particularly, let me tell you, you want cowards, large companies, Mm. and some of those executives sitting in those offices, Mm -hmm. those risk departments, whose only job is to go on the internet and pull up all of the negative search results that have come up about you on Google. And that 23-year-old intern working at Times Live who doesn't have the compass mentis to understand that that article you're going to write for clicks impacts somebody's life and their ability to actually have a positive influence in the country. You're just writing it because you think mm-hmm. it's a little funny thing that happened on Twitter. Somebody said something to Gareth. You know what that just did? It now affects Cliff Central's ability to attract capital and financing right. and advertising and to scale and grow and to inform the citizenry. You are playing into this orchestra, right? And the conductor in all of this orchestra is business. 
particularly big business. This is why do you think they keep coming out and saying, we have a plan to save South Africa? Every year they come out with a new plan and a new hope and a new pact. And they've met with the president and they've signed it. And there's a 10-point plan every year. Read it every year and it's exactly the same. And it's the same businesses, same business leaders. And it's there's a signatory and there's oh, signatures the, going around. And the same ones who'll bend over and take the NHI. Exactly. And, but then they turn around and in private, they go, oh, you know, this is, this is bad. Oh, no, at their bries, you know, and when they're sitting with the other business leaders and they'll, they'll complain, you know, I, I unfortunately, we're being bullied here. I said, to, I said to one of them the other day, we're having a discussion. I said to him, so how much of your money is still here? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's the question. That's to really ask. the question, and that's the. What did that guy say? Whoever this man he would, is, he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't answer it. Yeah, but that was the answer, right? But that that's was all the answer you needed. So you see, but that's the difference between you and I. You are an employee with a guaranteed salary and share options, and what you've done is you've externalized some of your wealth through a complex fund structure, and you're taking your money outside the country. What you're actually doing is you're aiding and abetting the degradation of the country for your personal benefit. And you have the unmitigating temerity to tell me that I must get involved and sign a pact of business leaders to support the country. Or be quiet and not criticize so much. What are you talking about? How, how do you think? I, I just, I don't understand, man. Did people not go to school? How do you think genocides happen? They happen because people keep quiet. Oh. Now, whether it's the mass murder of, of people, right? <laughs> or it's the mismanagement of a country at scale. It's the same thing. It still costs lives. And it requires of you to keep quiet. That's what it requires. They say that during um, East Germany's zenith, one out of every three people in the country was a spy for the government. Um, that means inside families. Crazy. And that just shows you how everyone becomes complicit in the lie. Yeah. Right? Don't you find, sorry, I, wanted, I, want, I have a question for you. Don't you find it interesting how there are people alive today who would hear that and go, I would never be one of the three. They were the same people who did exactly what they were told during lockdown. Right? Mm. Isn't that so interesting? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost the idea that you are the exception. No, but, and everyone thinks they would have been moral in a, in a, you know, in a, in a previous generation. Oh, I would not have uh, thought well of slavery. Mm. I don't believe you. I mm. don't believe you. I think you would have been part of the system just mm. like you are now. Mm. 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 So scary. There's a lot of moral superiority going around, unearned moral superiority. Because you can get it on Twitter by saying you're a good person mm. or by denouncing someone else. You know, mm. if I denounce you mm. when you uh, mm. say something about business that doesn't conform to my ideology, for example, mm. then I'm looking like the more compassionate person online because Fuzi Tembequayo says, oh, you know, money doesn't flow uphill or whatever. Yes. And suddenly I'm a good person by comparison with you. Plus, I've been brave enough, brave and in inverted to commas, approach for to, yeah, to like say something, to snipe at him from the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a you lot of that. You know what I mean? Oh, There's big time. And you, you've taken way more than your fair share of it. And I'm just, the reason I'm going down this line of question, because I'm, I'm suspecting that you are sick and tired of it. You said at the beginning, you don't care anymore about yes. that stuff, Yes. which is healthy. Yes. You shouldn't. Why would you stop on the side of the road if a homeless person who's drunk on meths is shouting at you? Why would you stop? And have a conversation. Yes. You've got things to do. You've got yes. places to go. Yes. You can't stop for everybody. Yes. And Twitter's full of drunk, homeless people on meths yeah. who, are, <laughs> who are flinging 
lovely feces analogy. at everyone else. Lovely right? analogy. I mean, and, not- and and worse is they hide behind the anonymity. Oh which, yeah, which then amplifies it. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's let's just get back to the economy. If you were in charge, this is a terrible question, but I know you have answers for this because you've thought about this. You're a real thinker. If you were in charge of everything right now, there are a couple of switches that you could switch on or off in order to get things to improve immediately, Mm. which for some reason, current leadership, business, unions, whoever they may be, all of them in cahoots, because I think they are, Mm. wouldn't want to switch those switches on. Mm. What what are the the first things you would do? That's a tough one. Um, Because you don't want to run for president. Let's be clear. No. But if you had to, if someone put you in charge now and said, my God, we're in such big trouble. (laughs) The landscape is barren. The only guy who we can find who can rub two brain cells together is Fusi Tempequayo. Please take over. I think one of the first things I would do is I'd probably just assemble a team of really good people. There's some incredibly capable people in this country. Very capable. Um, But you would have to give them, you'd have to give them immunity. You'd have to give them immunity and say, everything you've done and built will not be tainted by what I'm about to ask you to do, but I need you to get involved. See, at the moment, it's the bozo explosion. The best of us are led by the worst of us, who've then convinced the average that the worst are the best. And so the average think that it is your ability to round your R's that makes you a true thinker and a revolutionary. Talk about cadres and yes, comrades. And, and, you know, not comb your hair. <laughs> Mm. You know, because an unkept, then you're more authentic. Yes, an, an unkept Afro and you know mm. a scruffy beard, then you you've got the look. And you must go no 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 exactly. Quite a lot. Uh, shut up. No, just honestly, <laughs> do you seriously still get shit from people about the way you speak? That you're able to actually co- coherently put sentences together is a huge threat to some people. Still. I mean, yeah, I mean, th- and of course you get those people who say, "Ah, Matt, he speaks so beautifully, so he must be clever." Yes, it's, Which is it's also just unbelievable. It's also the con- it's the <laughs> conflation that uh, that how you speak has anything to do with what you have to say. Mm. I mean, I don't know if I still do. I don't pay attention. Although to Although they found that low verbal intelligence, yes, something which you definitely don't suffer from, yes, is very closely linked to an and and. An, appreciation for authoritarianism. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely true. Now that's interesting. Low verbal intelligence means you're automatically attracted to authoritarianism. Wow, these meek people. eh? Mm. Yeah. Your question was, what would I do? Yeah, Um, what would you do, president? I don't know, man. I think that, I think structurally there, there are things that are so far, so far eroded there, there would be a lot to be done um, to understand the best way for us out of the problem. You mean you couldn't just nationalize the banks or? Well, let's be clear. We're not nationalizing Foucault. Let's just be very clear, right? Why? Um, it's such a good strategy. Simple. You, I'll tell you why you don't nationalize. No, no, seriously. Answer me like, uh, like, like you would for people who think okay. that that's a great idea. You see, you see um, government is not, a meritocratic institution. If it was, the Department of Home Affairs would have awards every year for the best performing clerk. They don't have them because they don't measure the performance of clerks at Home Affairs. The the structure of government is not built for meritocracy. It's not built for remuneration based on performance. So the reason you don't take institutions that need to perform and give them to the government is because you're going to flog them 
with a management system that doesn't require of them to perform. This is why the minute you give anything to the state, they mismanage it. It's, it's not because they wake up this morning going, how can I mismanage this thing? It's because sure. there is no incentive built into the system to perform. Now, in the private markets, there is an incentive. It's called survival. You don't perform, you die. That's the way it works, right? And, and there is a limitation to how much capital you can raise and constantly underperform. Sooner or later, they're going to change the executive or the board or the shareholders are going to shut you down. So there is a real existential threat to non-performance. So the reason you don't nationalize institutions that need to perform is because the way our government is built is not for it to be built on performance. There are those who will say, yes, but you know, in China, all right, let's, let's go down this route. You know, in China, they have, you know, ports run by the government and mega cities and they do exceptionally well and look at their growth rate. Yes, that's true. Uh, have you read any of the Communist Party manifestos? Have you watched any of the conferences that they publish online? Also, have you noticed that if a minister or a person who's put in charge of the port, for example, doesn't perform, he just disappears? Yes. But in addition to this, I mean, there's personal accountability at the most at the extreme highest level. level. Yes. <laughs> but, like but in going, addition to this, one of, the, kill one of the things people don't know is that the CCP has a meritocratic institution of running promotion. It's not like the ANC. I want to be clear on this. And I say this with all the love and respect for, for our ruling party. They don't get voted in because they went to a conference and were able to convince other people to vote them in. Hmm. In, in addition to that, there is an actual system Call it what of it monitoring is. What your What you just described is a popularity contest. Yes, but, yeah. but, but they have a system where they go, this is a scorecard. Gareth, we gave you to run this port. How many jobs did you create? Were you profitable? How much economic value did you create in that region? And they will compare Gareth to Vossi and Mark and everybody else. And they'll go, in addition to him being popular, he's also the best candidate. Mm -hmm. This is why friend of mine very popularly once said, if Barack Obama grew up in China, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have been president because he didn't go through the system and hierarchy of performing at different levels to get to the place where Xi Jinping can perform. So, so, so you can't use China because they're an outlier. They have very clearly built performance into the system of government. That's why today you and you drive a sorry. That's why today you drive a Haval and you use a Huawei and all the rest of these things. And they'll go, yes, those are all companies funded by the Chinese government. Yes, that understands capital markets and funding and profitability. And they hired the best people for the jobs. They didn't take their friends and say, well, you can have that tender to go do the watering thing. Oh no, so no, there's no water. Ah, people are striking now. Damn it. But we gave yeah. the tender to, yes, yes. Yeah, so where, where the Chinese government pay lip service to communism. Yes. And perform meritocratic. A meritocratic system of government, yes. Our government pays lip service. <laughs> very badly and communistically, but they give lip service to merit. I mean, and, it's… And, yeah, right. So, so it's, it's perverse. Okay, so how has, how has the current situation affected your businesses? The, the, the world economy, for starters, because that's not in great shape either, no, let's are, admit it. And, and here, you said you're spreading all over the world, which are, is terrific. We, we, we have completely deleveraged our South Africa risk. Our office is up the road here in Rivonia, and we just recently rebuilt it. We had, we had basically uh, shut almost everything in South Africa down. I had my whole South Africa team working from home. Hmm. We, have, we had completely deleveraged our South Africa risk. We uh, do a lot of business in the rest of the continent. We're in uh, Nigeria, we're in Rwanda, um, and we're in markets 
where people want to do business and there's an incentive to do business and they get out of our way for us to trade. This is how we work. I, I don't have the time to walk into a boardroom and to convince somebody that what I'm about to propose is something they should be doing because it's going to be good for the country. I just don't have the time. If you don't know we should be doing it, it's fine. You keep doing what you, you're doing. We're, we're good, we're capable, we're competent, and we're global. We can work anywhere and we will do well anywhere, right? So, so, we, so we, we have deleveraged our South Africa risk. And in, in, in no small part, owing to COVID, it forced us to. Because right. when that struck, we went, holy moly, wait, what? We just hadn't thought about the sovereign risk of being in a single country and having 90% of your revenues coming from a single country. That becomes a big problem. 90% of your revenues, you know, 90% of your portfolio companies all in a single country. That becomes hugely problematic. Um, so that's the one thing that we have done. The second thing we're doing is we're scaling outside South Africa. So we're looking for the markets where we can earn currencies that are more preferable and service clients that actually respect our work. One of the things I don't have the time to do is to convince a South African to pay me rands that are depreciating on the global capital markets. I just don't have the time for it. We're good at what we're doing. You're going to pay us. But my clients in the US don't ask me, are you this good? They'll pay me three times as much with half the inquiry. So I'm going to go where I'm appreciated and I'm going to do the work where the work is appreciated. Um, so that's a, that's the second thing that we've done. The third, and this has just been God's grace, is as part of the internationalization, the team has also changed. And once you change your team, the dynamics change. Mm. New ideas, new people, new thinking. You start getting insights from different markets and different spaces. And then when you're in parts of the world that are absolutely booming, you know, there is a mindset of abundance that you can't help but just suckle at the teat at. You yeah. just, you know, you, you're hearing people talk about new investments, new things they're doing. You go, wow, this is fascinating. This what is would amazing. make you as a, as a businessman who has now explored and, and succeeded in other markets, what would it take to get you to come back here and reinvest in this country? What do we need more of? And you're not the only one. I mean, I ask this in a broad way because there are lots of international companies that we should be attracting. We need foreign direct investment. And I think that this government's just given up on that because they get made fun of at Davos. I, um, it's a good question. I, I think in, 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 in part, um, so when you, when, you do, when you study finance, one of the things they teach you is this concept of a risk-adjusted return. In other words, it's not just can I generate a return in investing in Gareth's business. It's is that return commensurate for the risk I'm taking in investing in his business. Right. South Africa, you can generate a return, but on a risk-adjusted basis, it underperforms many of its comparative markets. So one of the things you have to do is you have to de-risk the South African investment opportunity. So here's a wild idea. Pass a two-year concession and say to each and every single global company, if you come here, set up a factory and employ 300 people or more, we're going to give you two years tax-free. No taxes. You pay your PAYE it's taxes. It's money you don't have company. anyway. Right? You don't have it anyway, yeah. right? But what that does when somebody puts it in a mathematical calculation is it de-risks the opportunity. You know who else has done this? My good friend Gito is doing it for the president HH in Zambia. You know what that means? Mm -hmm. They're attracting for the first time in a long time capital coming into their country. Um, His Excellency Tinubu is now thinking about doing similar things for Nigeria. So what does that mean? The rest of the global market is going, hmm, let's relook at that Nigeria opportunity again. Yeah. Uh, Ghana has been doing it fairly successfully for the past two years there or thereabout. So we, we have to understand that and I say this with love, South Africa today is not the South Africa that was five years ago. We're definitely not the South Africa that Mandela took over in 94. Um, we just don't occupy that halo 
brand in the global mind space anymore, which means we have to do actual things and actually be competitive and, and offer a real meaningful opportunity. In the financial services space, Mauritius has pulled the rug from under our feet, Absolutely. following them, following them very strongly, Morocco. In uh, technology and infrastructure space, Egypt. And Watch Egypt over the next five to the next the next five to the next 10 years, Egypt is going to look like Dubai. Just watch. You think? Absolutely. Wow. The amount of cranes uh, yeah. that are, and by the way, this is an Egypt that had an Arab Spring not so long ago. Yours in my lifetime, right? Um, in the technology space, Kenya stepped firmly into that breach. You know what's busy happening right now in capital markets? Rwanda is looking going, we're a small country, we're landlocked with 12 million people. Very hard for us to compete on agriculture and manufacturing. So what are we going to do? We're going to become the Singapore of Africa. We want every single investor, global investor that wants to invest in Africa to come through Rwanda Kigali. So they've set up the KIFC, the Kigali International Finance Center, and they're today working on a program to become an international finance center that can compete on a, on a, on a par basis with the JSC and the rest of it. And, and then, then people say, oh, but, but their, their president is a terrible dictator and he's that mean guy that you were talking about earlier. You need a strong yeah. man. You need a strong he man, needs, right? He makes decisions. Then, and then this is my final point. Then you could fix South Africa with just this one pill. This is the Morpheus moment, okay. right? You could fix it by getting people to recognize that we're at a time when we need the best amongst us, not those that look like us. You've got to set aside group identity and focus on competence. So watch the performance of the Western Cape, watch the performance of Cape Town. There is a lot to be said about Cape Town and whether or not wealth is evenly distributed and sure. how poor people still live in Cape Town and the rest of it. Yes, that those are valid criticisms. But do you know why you can level those criticisms? You can level those criticisms because the, the differential becomes more stark the more there is an improvement. It's the inverse in many other parts of South Africa. Just yeah. drive down William Nickel, drive on Witkopen and try not to hit a pothole. And so it's it's difficult for you to it's say. Always, well, it's always compared to what? Yes, you know? yes. This is always the question for for anyone who who raises that specter. And it's funny to me how we have different standards. So subconsciously, maybe our past is so inculcated in us that as South Africans we go, oh well, this party will hold to that standard, but this party will hold to that standard. This cultural group will hold to that standard, but this one will hold to this one. And we don't even realize we're perpetuating the bad policies of our ancestors mm. on both sides mm. because of insecurities, superiority or inferiority complexes. This is all very bad. No, I mean, it's you know, really bad. You know, look, don't forget, it's not a government for life, right? You, you can change them. <laughs> so, so, Careful, so, this is now, now we're getting into insurrection no, talk. No, I mean, what I'm saying is, look, let's imagine you tried a different group of people around the table. Yeah. You have fears about what these people might do if they were ever to occupy the table. Right. What would you do? You'd vote them out. So it's not as if you give them the, the opportunity to do this. In perpetuity. In perpetuity and for the rest but of your life. But also, what have you got to lose? We've tried this table of people for Absolutely a couple right. of years now. And what, what has it brought us? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But again, it goes back. It just goes back to the same basic things. That, to, that around which you incentivize people to do, they will do. So why, why the countries that I mentioned earlier, 
The reason those countries are performing is not because the people who are given the authority to do certain jobs are celestial beings that no. descended on the seventh day, right? It's because there are there are systems and mechanisms in place to make sure that if you do not perform, you're out. It's not complicated. I'll give you a personal example. Um, I had a legal matter and had to attend court. Mm. <laughs> My friend, let me tell you. Do you know the number of times? Now, I want you to picture the scene, right? So I'm based here, based in the Middle East. There were times when I'd have to fly into the country just to appear in court. Do you know the number of times? And then I pay a lawyer and an advocate. And sometimes nothing happens. No, no, no. Not sometimes. Do you know the number of times we would show up? And Tell then, me. There'd be no electricity. And then, then there is electricity and the generators are running the lights, but they're not running the little machine that they need to take oh the notes. And, and, and by the way, this is in one of the busiest courts in the country. And you're going, hold on. It happened last time. It's fine, but it's happening three, four times. Are you trying to tell me that the person running this court doesn't know yeah. that there is this problem and how to solve and fix these, this problem? Um, but they get paid the same whether the court works or it doesn't. Well, and this is the problem. That's you find that performance thing you were talking about. Even the people in the court are frustrated at this because they're yeah. like, look, look at what's happening to my case file. Look at what's happening to my lot. Look at the things I've got to do. Just go to the children's court and have a look at the number of people who are there, third, fourth, fifth time. To, to get some semblance of justice. And no, we have someone here who's been going through this. It's unbelievable. It's hell. It's hell. It's unbelievable. So, and it's the biggest waste of her time. So, now, if I think about what we pay her for her time. There you go. This is not worth her time. Absolutely. You've absolutely nailed it. So, so you've got all of these things that you do, all of these people you employ. Your mind space should be focused on this and creating, but you've now got to do this. And because you're a law-abiding citizen, I'm not going to go to anybody and pay them anything to make the matter go away. I'm going to go through the process. So as you go through, now you're getting frustrated. It's an albatross around your neck. So don't forget, right, this is what's happening in the criminal justice system. Just put criminal, just, just put criminal system there. There's no justice in it. But that's what's happening there. I mentioned to you what's happening at home affairs. Everybody can tell you about that experience. Mm. Talk to anybody that's ever had an experience with the ports and they'll tell you the challenges that they've had there. We ask, you know, Mark Barnes about his experience at post office. He'll tell you all about that. Right. I just want to be clear. We have tried this thing of letting people in centralized institutions called the state run things. They don't know how to run things. So why are you wanting to give them your health sector? Yeah, please ask that again. And I, I hear nothing but crickets. Never heard a good answer for that question. Have you? No. All I keep hearing is there is uh, an unequal distribution of access to assets in the health sector. Therefore, yes, but you, you don't fix an unequal distribution problem by opening the floodgates and in, without creating new capacity. And in addition to this, giving the full autonomy and authority to an institution that now has a monopoly of power without a counterweight of accountability. This is, this is precisely why government is not good at running things. I'll say it again for anybody who didn't hear that. It's simple. You don't give a monopoly of power without an accountability mechanism. So do you know why these things, this is why, this is why JP did what he did in Cape Town with the taxi strike. He was like, oh, you think you're going to do what you're going to do and there'll be no consequences. Watch. And then your minister of transport stands up and goes, how does this guy think he's she above the law? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So a minister of transport is now arguing another government employee who's simply going, you will not park taxis on the freeway. You don't get the right to determine what the laws are. What's, I'm sorry, what's complicated about that? What's hard? <laughs> the, only, the only part of this is complicated is that the minister in question didn't even know the laws. And not only that, the minister in question isn't the person sitting in traffic stuck behind that taxi now not able no, never will have to get problem. to that place of no, work. This is a, another thing. And, and, you know, they'll call you an elite, uh, you know, member of the elite yes. because you've made money and you've been successful. <laughs> and they'll use it as a club to, to beat you with. Right. But the reality is you, you started this whole conversation by saying the cost of bread, the cost of salt, the cost of maize. These are things that those guys in politics, they don't know any of that stuff. Yes. Because we pay for everything for them. Yes. It's like they're our children. Yes. Except that they're the children who are running the asylum. Yes. And they drive around in blue light brigades, so they never really need to worry about replacing tires and potholes. Yes. They live in state housing, which we pay for, so they don't actually have to maintain a household, yes. which is like the basic function of a family, right? Yes. Like, like, let's keep a place where we can be safe. And they don't have to worry about safety, of course. Mm. They don't care about the cost of anything. Mm. And so all of that is just pure theoretical, academic, let's make it up and build it backwards to our ideology. Got you. Right? Got you. Got this you. is a big problem. They're just out of touch. Absolutely. I, I had a debate with... Uh, uh, somebody very high up in the high ups on a on a plane back actually we were sitting next to each other on a flight back. <laughs> was uh, was this person happy or unhappy to be sitting next to you? I mean, he he knows me well. He knows okay. me well. Uh, right. Former mayor. He and I were debating about something. We we're flying back from Dubai together, and um, <laughs> so and so in the debate, I said to him, I said, okay. I mean, I, I I take all of the things that you've just said. I said, so how much of your life then? Is, uh, is dependent on the things that we're talking about. How many of your kids are you sending to public schools? Do you go to public hospitals? Are you, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I'm just asking you, do you eat the thing that you're telling the rest of society to eat? Um, and, you know, as you might imagine, the answer to that is crickets because there is no plausible answer to that. Um, and then I asked the question of him, which I, I'm keen to ask you. Can anybody tell me What's the what's the dream, the ambition, the hope for South Africa? Where are we going? What's our vision? Right. What's because the thing when that you we're start about? a business, or even when you start a project within the business, yes, you have victory conditions. Absolutely. You set those up front. Everyone on the team knows this is what it requires for us to win. Yes. This is what winning looks like. Yes. Yes. South Africa has not had a winning vision since Tabumbeki. Yes. And, and and at least he, I mean, he got growth going. Yes, you know, you can criticize him for being a bit central, a bit centrist, a bit a bit wayward on his, uh, his HIV and AIDS outlook. You can criticize the way he had a a major gap in his understanding of how Zimbabwean elections took place. But he got and he a good a good team of people: mm. Trevor, Tito, mm. Maria Ramos. Mm. These are smart people who managed to pull things together. Mm. And we had growth six percent at one point. Unbelievable, right? Yeah, what I mean, we those, would do for that now? Yeah, those are Kenya numbers. Yeah, and it, and and remember, off a very high base. So, wh right. where's the vision? That's the question. I mean, I remember there was a send me to Mamina story. I don't know where that ended up. I seem to remember a year after we were sending sending me, there was a story about uh, travel to China and a dream about a 
a speed train that could connect one province to another province. I'm not sure whatever happened to the speed train or the dream about the speed train. Um, as, a, as a professional orator, I can tell you that in part the reason I made sure that I was not just a public speaker, but I lived in the real world and actually had running businesses was because there is a point at which people want to weigh you and you can't be found wanting. Words only carry so far. There's a point at which people go, this sounds great. Let's just test Gareth's character a little bit. What have you done? What have you built beyond the words and the perfect elocution, right? Um, but I can't seem to find what that vision is. I can't seem to, no, I, I can't seem, and I can't seem to talk to anybody. I even asked the, the business leader that I was telling you about. I said, so where's this going? What's the, what's the end goal? What are we aiming for, right? Um, and crickets. Well, I think a lot of people in this country I'm not making excuses for them because I do believe without a vision, you will just spiral in wherever you'll blow, blow whichever way the wind blows. But I think a lot of people are in survival mode. And if you're in survival mode, it's all about maintaining and controlling what I can, right? So that sure. I'll, I can survive. Sure. But if you contribute to a vision, everyone has to give a little bit in order to achieve something more but we're not being offered that exchange because there is no greater vision right now. It's really just each for his own. And it's our time to eat if we're politicians. And as for the rest of you, you're pretty much there to uh, work and bring us some tax money for us to steal. Yeah, this is, um, it's, you know, set, set aside the things you and I have said here, the various criticisms that we have levied against different people. Uh, I think what is pretty uh, clear disdain, certainly on my end, I get the sense from you, for some of the people who have authority. Set all of that aside. As a citizen, even if I don't benefit, I still want the country to work. So this, this thing about having a dream, a vision of something we're aiming for should be at the very least the one thing we can all agree on. Let's disagree on everything else, but let's agree on that. Because without that, then all that happens is we become um, trolls, that are just jumping at different ends of the stadia, each shouting for our own corner and chanting our own messaging, hoping one to be more offensive than the other. Attention-seeking, it's even, it's even worse than that. We're like Kardashians without the sexiness. <laughs> <laughs> right? We're ugly Kardashians. That's what we, we are when we're jumping around <laughs> shouting for attention like that. So I know one of the things that I really love about you, and I, I suspect so many other people do too, is that despite the fact that you're extremely realistic and practical, and you are both those things, you're also somehow optimistic and not optimism without foundation. But I do think you're one of those people who inspires and you create vision yourself, which I think we desperately need. You identified that in this last little bit of the conversation in any case. So Again, I'm not asking you to perform miracles here, but there's still enough hope in this country. There are 60 million people who need to not only survive but thrive. Mm. And in an ideal world, we'd already be there because we would have got the leaders that we, um, we, we probably deserve in our, when the better angels of our nature are sure. sitting on our shoulder. Sure. But what is your feeling going forward? And let's be... Let's be realistic, but let's also bring in some of that optimism and vision that you're so famous for. Um, Your best case scenario. 
I think that um, sure. It getteth. <laughs> I don't. I'm not trying to make your life horrible. Um, I know this is a tough one because I think about it every day. I have to do two hours a day, and I can't just moan. And I can't just complain, and I can't just point fingers. Because <clears throat> people do look to you. You didn't ask for it. You didn't set yourself up as a role model, but it's happened. I'm sorry. Didn't Churchill say some people have greatness thrust upon them? Mm. You're one of those people. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, I know. You didn't ask for this. Um, so I think that um, I th- I think that um, So, so what are the green shoots, right? The first is that for better or for worse, the average South African citizen is now more aware. Um, And as you know, they teach you this in any addiction program. First part is uh, you admit you've got a problem. We're now aware. There is no denying where we are. Everybody's aware, right? That's an important flag in the system. And here's how you know it's true. You're seeing more and more criticism where you wouldn't ordinarily see it. You're seeing more and more calling out where you wouldn't ordinarily see it. And you're seeing more and more people rallying around things that all of us should be rallying around. So we have Mandela Day, and and there are people who say, why are we celebrating Mandela? And then there is an entire army of people who go, how many years did your parents spend in jail, my friend? Sit down, right? Um, I think that level of awareness mm. is important. You saw a bit of that too during those ugly, ugly riots, yes. which we all hated. Yes. And yes. There, was, there was very little good to be taken from it, but you suddenly saw communities yes. Yes. Like standing together. Yes, yes. They were like, you cannot mess with us. Yes, yes. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a positive thing. Also, we've got a lot of problems, right? Yes. And as a businessman, I always think that's when you see problems, are. yeah, so there's lots of things to be solved. And you see little communities. I, I, I keep bringing this up. Maybe people are bored with it. But Harry Smith in KZN, they didn't have water because the municipality had completely screwed up their water. So what they did is the people of Harry Smith got together. They found some old guy who had been a plumber once. He came around, said, this is what we need. The community, instead of paying their rates and taxes that year, they put all the money into a trust account. Love it. He got the pipes. He got a team of guys Sorted together, created some jobs. They fixed it. Now they've got water there, despite the municipality. 
You know that Burmaka plan thing that South that. Africans are famous for? I love that. Yeah. Which brings me to what was going to be my second point, which is this. In, in the degradation, something very strange happens. It's the recognition that we all share a destiny. That you and I might come from different parts of the country. We might have different lived experiences. We might have been raised differently. We might have different set of opportunities. But guess what? It's affecting us equally. Mm. Right? And unfortunately, we'll all end up in the same place. And we'll go going to the same place. If it goes down, if that Titanic thing happens. You've nailed it. And so that coincidentally pulls all of us towards the same, uh, the same wanting. We, we all go, okay, so, okay. So, so let me see if I understand this. If that happens and it affects you, it affects me too. Okay, then we One both washes the other. Then we stuff, both right? better get. We both better jump over those high walls with the electric fencing, and and you know, over a bry. Shisanyama. <laughs> Let's talk fix a bit about stuff. how we're going to yeah. fix yeah. stuff, right? And and I think you're seeing a lot of that. That's the second. The third is, and it's one we very few people pay attention to us, but I'm quite heartened at the number of young people stepping up, getting into politics. Mm. Um, it's prevalent in one particular party, mm-hmm. right? You're seeing them giving mayoral jobs to yeah. people in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, the other people are still running an old age house, but I'm sure that'll change soon enough. Worry, so are the Americans, huh? This is, oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> with all sleepy, sleepy. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a ger- ger- gerontocracy, someone said. They have a completely different set of problems, those guys. Yeah. They, they are yeah. going 100 miles you know, an hour down the completely the wrong path, and, yeah. and not, they're not going to like the end of it. Um, the, the, third is, the fourth is this. I, I'm still in my space. I still see builders. There's still entrepreneurs who are looking for opportunities, building things, doing things. I could mention examples here. Uh, who've either raised capital, started a business, are employing more people, they're scaling, they're getting into new markets. Sure. Um, that stuff doesn't get nearly enough spotlight, you know, and beyond, you know, the odd business day TV conversation, they don't make it into the everyday conversations of South Africans. Um, but but that's a, a big green light for me. The reason that's a big green light is not just because builders are builders, but because a natural lethargy builds into an economy when it's dominated by big players. They have no incentive to Absolutely. compete. Absolutely, yeah. Right. So you know this in the media space, mm-hmm. uh, the hugely disruptive force you were. You were one of the first people, if not the first, to do this, to go, why Why do I need Centec and so-and-so and so-and-so? And yeah. so? I can do it in, in a different right. way, right? Um, and And today, almost all of them are now wanting to do something in the internet space because they're forced to. That's where the eyeballs are, right? They they just can't sell that ad space anymore the way they used to for the second 30-second slot just between that 11 o'clock show, right? Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's, that's important. Um, and then the fifth one might sound strange, but I, I still think that the number of South Africans sitting on the sidelines just waiting for the timing to be right is something to behold. Certainly the number I know who are, you know, billionaires in the dollar sense mm. and, and, and cash money, not tied up in stock options, right? Real money who are waiting for the, for the bargain to be a bargain, waiting for that mine to be just the right price, 
waiting for that pharmaceutical company to be just the right price, who've got the technical skills, the competence, the global network of, of talent that they can immediately onboard and scale that thing tenfold, the number of South Africans who fit that box is incredible. I love all five of those because I, I think they're, they should be obvious to most of us, but I'm, I'm glad you articulate it better than most. There's another one that I, I think we could add to that is survival. And I said everyone's in survival mode and that's not necessarily an optimal situation for anyone to be in. Mm. But it shows you just how goddamn resourceful mm. we are. Mm. Because how someone can be unemployed, mm. living in rural South Africa mm. with absolutely no money mm. and still get up in the morning and mm. get things done. And mm. a lot of people are doing that. There mm. are, again, grannies raising villages, you know. Mm. I just marvel at I love at that. that. Grannies I marvel raising at villages. that, right? Mm. It's, that's a beautiful thing mm. because there is still community there. Mm. And I hope we don't get to that Titanic moment that you were talking about earlier mm. because this ship, we haven't – there is not enough water in it yet to sink it. Yeah. But we're getting very, very close. close. And it's very uncomfortable to very see close. how close we're getting. Yeah, very close. Very close. I mean, look at uh, um, Edward Kiesfart had his latest uh, admission around how much capital and tax they lost because of, of load shedding. 70 billion or something mm. was the number, right? And, and that's a function of the economic impact. That is a real implication for the state because that's money that they could have otherwise used that's now not flowing to the state. Um, and, and remember, in, in, um, in, in private equity, we learn about this thing called the efficiency curve, right? So if I buy a business, I can extract value one of two ways. I can either make it more efficient, therefore keep the revenue line the same, but grow profits, or I can invest and grow the revenue line. Mm. What we've been doing in South Africa for the past 15 years, if you think of us as a company, is we've made the tax authority so efficient that we've been collecting money incredibly efficiently. This mm -hmm. is why the, there's almost no loop left. Yeah. They, they went after the CCs, the trusts, the offshore structures, the loop structures. Right, that's the end of the efficiency curve. What that means now is the only way to truly grow the revenue line for the state is you've actually got to invest and you've got to build new capacity. So- you need the ports working. You've got to build the ports. You've got to fix the rail. This rail situation is a disaster. In any other country, let me just say it, in any other country, whomever it was that was the Minister of Transport and Public Enterprises, when the rail infrastructure was looted, would have been chucked in a jail. I want in to, any I, other country. I want to pay more tax to build that jail. <laughs> I Be like that between you and me that, I don't I like mind. that I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay another 5% and that's a lot of money for anybody right 5% of your total income yeah it's a lot I'd of money I'd put that in if they just built that jail and just put those people in I it. mean it's it's and, and again it goes to the shared <laughs> hope Edward Kismet is listening yeah and it goes to that shared destinies the, yeah. the rail transports the my, my, when I was growing up, my, my, my uncles used to take the rail. My mom at mm. some point used to take the rail. It, it transports- All of our goods used to, used to on the which rail. Which is why our roads, roads weren't the disaster. Yeah. That's where I was going This morning, this. I got onto the highway at 5 a.m. And there were four trucks in parallel. And luckily, there was still one lane open. But four trucks. Fully laden, too. Fully laden. There you go. There you go. And so, 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 so for the-, for the for the entrepreneur, the capitalist, if you want to call him that, he's now affected because he's got an inefficient, expensive yeah. route of taking goods to market. Mm -hmm. Do you know what else that means? 
it means for the laborer. They're also affected. And the end consumer. And the end consumer pays now, a higher price. To get what you want to what you need is so much more money. expensive. Yes, that's exactly right. And and this is why there's um that's why I said to you the naked isms are dangerous because there is you need to understand things in context. Yeah. Right. So so for me, the number of South Africans who are sitting on the sidelines going, I could take that and do X with it, is unbelievable. I do and they have that, resources. And they do have. I, I do think, though, just as a final note to this, I do think, and I want to make the point again, we're, we're reaching the end of the efficiency curve. You, you're seeing now, if you read any of the, the papers, uh, the, the tax authority hiring data analysts, they, they're employing machine learning, artificial intelligence, the number of people who've complained because they, re, they, uh, they received auto-assessments, not knowing it wasn't a human being. It was mm. a machine that said, there are some anomalies here. It runs a mathematical extrapolation and says, we need to assess this person, right? So it, that tells you, the minute you start deploying, right, zero marginal cost technology to achieve an end result, you're really pushing the frontier of efficiency. So we're at the end of that. The question is, what are we building? What are we doing next? This is often, I think, what the world misses, particularly the, the American trick. This is what Americans are great at. They push the efficiency frontier in the one end, then they build new industries on the other. None of us were talking AI five years ago. Now all of us are talking AI. Before yep. that, it was blockchain. Before that, it was before that. And so you must ask the question. This is why I keep asking, what is the South African thing we are doing? If you were to travel anywhere in the world and people say, so where are you from? You say South Africa. The first thing they're going to say is, ah, Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. What's the second thing they say? They, they usually don't. They, but that tells you that there is nothing then in the global conversation that is our marked brand contribution. What is the thing we are adding to the world? What is that thing? Tell me one. There's nothing. Um, that, to me, marks a nation that is in an identity crisis, visionless, missionless. If you can't do that in a company with five people, you can't do it in a nation with 60 million of them. So the reason we're all scattered, running at different directions, and everybody trying to protect their end of, of the bargain, is because there's nothing pulling us to the center, going, this is actually what we are building. So, so show me that, you know, I said this to, sorry, I don't want to wax lyrical. I said this to a friend of mine. Um, I had a meeting with one of the ministers, the minister of AI. They had a minister of AI in Dubai in 2020 mm. already. So I had a meeting with him, Omar, lovely guy. Um, and, uh, and he said to me, yeah, we're busy working on our vision 2025. This was in 2021 or 2022. I said, wait, what? He said, yeah, we're working on our vision 2025. <laughs> Listen to this, Gary, it's going to blow your mind away. I said, what do you mean vision 2025? He says, yeah, we, we don't do like vision 2060 here. Visions are five years. Wow. What? Then he says to me, this really blew me away. His department has built um, a WhatsApp bot that runs the performance indicators for His Highness the Sheikh. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens. Every day, at the end of the day, all the various ministers of the different departments get sent a link. And when they click on it, are the performance measures of their jobs. And they've got every day, They've got to input what they've done. So at the end of every day, all the ministers call a meeting with their minions and they go, done, not done, did you? Okay, done, not done, da 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 It aggregates all of this on the AI and it gives them a score, which they don't see, and it sends it to the sheikh. The sheikh of all the departments gets a ranking 
from who's the best performing to the worst performing. This happens every day. Then he said to me, if you are constantly worst performing for two weeks, you get called in for a meeting. Two weeks. If you're at the bottom three for two weeks, you get called in for a meeting. And he says, if you're still at the bottom two weeks after that, you're out. So, you know, maybe these politicians of ours who love traveling there and enjoying a good wine and spending the money that they have earned or not as they travel into Dubai should learn about how that's done rather than just simply go there and enjoy it as consumers. Look, um, it's always extraordinary spending time with you because you uh, you do your brain just works at a very very different pace to most of ours and um, I love the things you say and I love the truths that you speak and I um, I'm sorry that this responsibility also falls to you to have to speak to South Africans as a leader before because, we wrap can I ask you a question yeah how are you doing how are you keeping up with all the the backlash <laughs> the noise the nonsense the you you I mean so before before I before you answer the question it's similar to me. I think you're one of those people, people want to misunderstand. It's not that they don't understand you. It's that I think they actively looking to misunderstand you. They want to be offended. There, there are always going to be a minority of people who feel that way. But I think the media has a, a perverse incentive to do, to do that as well. Huh. Like the, the broad media, because they're desperate for clicks, right? They can't understand why people would listen to Fuzzy Timber Choir and not them. It bothers them. So if they can find reasons to make you look silly or to caricature you, then it not only feeds the clicks to them, which they're desperately hungry for, but it also gives them a feeling of superiority over you. But that's a a very small problem that's not worth stressing about because you can't control that outcome anyway. What I think is interesting about being in South Africa at the moment is it's a bit like the Wild West. And... People do know, deep down inside, they know when something that you say is true, right? They know when something I say is true. But more often than not, we sometimes get into trouble. We sometimes get very popular, but we give other people permission to say what they really think. Sometimes they just need to see that if someone like you, who's been as successful as you have, can say the things you say, then maybe I can. And if you just do that for a few people, it doesn't take a majority of people to change things. It takes a small, intransigent minority of people who just say, to here and no further. And I think we're getting to that point in this country. Last question. It's a no small part due to what you contribute. Last question. Why are you still here? This is where I can make the most difference. Can't be that simple. Honest to God. I've thought about it. There were many opportunities. Um, I've never actually spoken about this very much, but I, I, this is where I belong. Are you kidding? This is, I speak the language. I know the people. I, this is home. What are you going to leave your house because it's untidy? No, you tidy it up. And I'm not as brave as you to start other operations out there before I've done what I need to do here. So I, my priority list is just ordered differently to yours maybe. This is where I have to make the, this is where I can make the biggest difference. If I'm going to do what I do anywhere else, I'm going to be among hundreds, if not thousands of other people who do the same thing, but who know the terrain better. Hmm. Yeah, this is where I can hopefully make a positive contribution. 
still trying to figure out exactly what that is. It isn't just media, but I don't know where. You don't get despondent? Oh, hell, of course I do. But I've just got less, um, I don't remember bad experiences as much. So I move on very quickly. If you and I had an argument now, it's kind of my secret superpower. If we had an argument now, in an hour, I'd message you and say, hey, Vuzi, thanks so much for that interview. I don't, you don't hold, hold on, on to, to the things. bad. Not the bad. Huh. I like holding on to the good, which is also why I love seeing you because you always you bring a whole lot more good than bad. Huh. But there we go. I mean, you know, it takes all kinds. Thank you. Thanks for coming to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I know always it took a, a while to make it happen. No, it's always a pleasure. You've been on the top of our list for a long time. <laughs> People love hearing from you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Fussy Tembe Choir.